Doings of Doyle is sponsored by Belanger Books, home of the best Sherlock Holmes anthologies featuring today's top Sherlockian authors. Belanger Books is the only authorised publisher of Solar Ponds Mysteries, continuing the Sherlock Holmes legacy into the 21st century. Visit them today at belangerbooks.com. Welcome to Doings of Doyle, a podcast dedicated to the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Professor Challenger, Brigadier Gerard, and of course, Sherlock Holmes. I'm Mark Jones. And I'm Paul Chapman. And together we'll be exploring Doyle's eclectic bibliography to understand more about the great man's life and work. We'll be discussing his fiction and non-fiction, the well-known and the obscure. And stopping by Baker Street along the way. You can find out more at doingsofdoyle.com or follow us at doingsofdoyle on Twitter. Hello and welcome to episode 46, and it's time for a Christmas ghost story. And you couldn't have more spooks to choose from, because it's Selecting a Ghost, The Ghosts of Gorsthorpe Grange, from December 1883. And here's Paul to introduce the story. Having made his fortune in the grocery business, Argentine Dodd has developed a raft of social pretensions, and acquired property and ancestry to match. He now lives in a moated medieval castle, with his own coat of arms and a carefully chosen gallery of instant ancestor portraits. All his new and venerable home lacks is a resident ghost, and now his wife's resourceful cousin, Jack Brockett, has met a man in a pub who can remedy that defect. Selecting a Ghost was published in London Society, which is a magazine that's very closely connected with Conan Doyle's early days as a struggling doctor in Southsea, a suburb of Portsmouth. Uh, He settled in the town in 1882, after a disagreement with his former business partner, George Turnivine Budd. Uh, and Budd had promised Conan Doyle money to set him up in practice, but that never materialised. And it was at that time that Conan Doyle turned to James Hogg, the editor of London Society, who published some of Conan Doyle's earliest works uh, and would go on to publish Selecting a Ghost. Hogg listened to Conan Doyle's predicament and paid him £10 advance on a short story, which allowed Conan Doyle to lay down his first quarter's rent on bush villas in Southsea. Now, that incident might give you a bit of a sense of, of how important London society was. It was really something of a lifeline for the young Conan Doyle. Uh, between 1880 and 1885, Hogg published 11 of Conan Doyle's stories, beginning with The American's Tale and ending with The Parson of Jackman's Gulch. Uh, the two men met periodically in London, and it was on one of those occasions in March 1882 that Hogg said he looked upon Conan Doyle as one of the coming men in literature. London society was therefore a pretty safe bet for Conan Doyle if he couldn't get his work placed with other more prestigious magazines like Blackwoods or Cornhill. We know little about the writing of Selecting a Ghost. It's only really referred to in the context of another story that was submitted to James Hogg and London Society. Uh, And that was a piece about a three-eyed man that Conan Doyle conceived while he was ship surgeon on the Mayumba on a trip to West Africa in 1881. Now, we don't know what happened to that story, or indeed if it was ever completed, but Hogg appears to have paid Conan Doyle an advance for it, Uh, because there was then some disagreement over the fee in summer 1883. And in reporting this disagreement to his mother, Conan Doyle said, Hogg has the ghosts now, but it is not published yet, which is our only reference in his published letters to this story. Uh, Hogg did indeed publish it later that year in December 1883. 
and it was published that same month in the New York Times in the United States. But the story doesn't quite end there because Hogg and Conan Doyle eventually fell out. In fact, they hadn't always seen eye to eye. When Conan Doyle offered uh, his short story An Actor's Duel to London Society, he was frustrated that Hogg had failed to see the joke and wrote to his mother that Hogg's chief editorial fault is an utter want of sense of humour. It was something entirely beyond his comprehension. But the specific disagreement over selecting a ghost was actually about copyright. The story had been collected in a three-volume work called Dreamland and Ghostland in 1887, but it was later collected in Mysteries and Adventures, an unendorsed collection of Conan Doyle's early fiction in London society, which Hogg published in 1889. And it appears that Hogg was really trying to capitalise on Conan Doyle's newfound fame on the back of his success with Micah Clarke. Uh, Unfortunately, it came out the same time as Conan Doyle's own official collection of early tales, The Captain of the Pole Star, which was published by Longmans in 1890. Um, Conan Doyle was incensed about Hogg's volume and made it clear in an interview with the Birmingham Weekly Mercury, in which he said, Mysteries and Adventures is a pirated edition of tales written years ago in London society. Some of them when I was little more than a boy. It is rough on me having these youthful effusions brought out in this catchpenny fashion, but I have no legal redress. The less reviewed or read they are, the better. And Conan Doyle didn't uh, anthologize the story himself. He, uh, it's notable that it doesn't appear in the author's edition uh, the Conan Doyle stories, or the Crowborough edition, um, which may have something to him regretting those uh, youthful effusions, as he says. Um, and it's one of those stories he perhaps felt was best left forgotten. And of course, we're going to do our best today mm-hmm. to revive it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, it's uh, it's worth pointing out as well, you know, on the back of the last podcast, that he was reusing the name uh, Gorsthorpe Grange. Mm. Um, which he'd used in the the unpublished story, which we discussed last time. Um, But what makes this story more confusing as well is it was published variously under different titles. Yes. So you have Selecting a Ghost, The Ghosts of Gorsthorpe Grange, and then it appeared in other sources as The Ghosts of Gorsthorpe Grange, The Secret of Gorsthorpe Grange, or The Secret of the Grange. So tracing it can can become quite difficult at times um, (laughs) for anthologists and completists. Mm. It, it's it's also um, interesting to note that, that that Doyle had this early success with with London society, mm. um, which was it was a, a very um, middle brow <laughs> yes. bourgeois magazine. Uh, it, it didn't have the literary pretensions of of, of say the Cornhill, mm. um, but you know it did have a a, a wide distribution, um, and and it, it's 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 was really it was a kind of almost. You could say, in some ways, a Victorian version of of, of Hello and and <laughs> sort of these popular magazines with easy yeah. articles yeah. Um, and and easy stories that are again designed to read on the train and and mm. and so on and and also to to bolster people up in 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 the new middle class lifestyle mm. um, which was was developing. Uh, it's quite funny really that some of Doyle's stories, you know, because a number of these stories, he had eleven stories published in the magazine in all. And mm. suddenly yeah, it's quite dark and and, and gothic stuff. <laughs> but it does seem to have been been something of 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 a lifeline to him, that's for sure. But it's also fun, particularly in in relation to this story, selecting a ghost, in that this this was a magazine 
aimed really at a specific demographic yes to 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 bolster them solidify their their, their aspirations almost yes um and and this story as as we all will find out was actually poking fun uh, yes. at, at the aspirational lifestyle yeah absolutely selecting a ghost also appears in the december 1883 issue of london society but um the magazine was particularly noted for its sort of lavish christmas specials as well wasn't mm. wasn't it so <clears throat> and conan doyle had written for quite a few of those in in the past um in 1880 and 1881 um, he had he had stories in that as well, but there's quite a long history of of these um, very celebrated uh, Christmas specials. In fact, the 1872 edition features um, a very good ghost story by uh, Lefanu called Dick on the Devil, mm. which is about a, a ghost who is haunting an estate in Pendle, uh, in mm. Lancashire, famous for the witches, and near to Stonyhurst, and very near to Stonyhurst. Yeah, indeed, mm. that's right. Um, the other thing about London society is that is is how Conan Doyle might have been introduced to it because I think Gibson and Green in the bibliography of Conan Doyle's work mm. mentioned that um, Charles Doyle had been an illustrator for James Hogg, and so Conan Doyle's father had had illustrated a number of works, including um, uh, Coleb's The Younger in Search of a Wife, <laughs> Brave Men's Footsteps. Um, and there is one called um, uh, Friendly Hands and Kindly Words, um, <laughs> stories illustrative of the laws of kindness, the power of perseverance, and the advantages of little helps. <laughs> and um, I'll put one of the images from that into the into the show notes because there's there's actually one there which is about a woman trying to stop a a, a gentleman from going into the pub because oh. clearly had too much, and mm. it just it's a bit bit of a yeah, a bit of a touchy one that one, mm. but um, but it's it's interesting. So it might well be that actually Conan Doyle got his introduction to London society through, um, through his father. Mm. And, and and London society did um, like the Strand later pride itself on on the illustrations mm. um, with, with, within its pages. Mm. Um, it's also perhaps worth mentioning when you talk about Christmas specials that of course Sherlock Holmes made his entry into the world in <laughs> of course. Christmas annual for 1887 yeah of course of course <laughs> you were mentioning there as well that uh, selecting a ghost is really sort of pointing at the the pretensions of this mm. of the rising middle class and you don't get anything better than that in the char- in the main character <laughs> here who's the wonderfully named Argentine Dodd um, D apostrophe O D D, isn't it? Uh, mm. Who is whose real name is Silas? I think we discover mm. at one point. Who's this grocer who's made his fortune and become one of the nouveau riche, as it were? Um, and there's a, a, a he has a rather inflated view of himself. Um, yeah, in introducing him, it said, uh, "I'm sure that nature never intended me to be a self-made man. There are times when I can hardly bring myself to realize that twenty years of my life." were spent behind the counter of a grocer's shop in the East End of London, and that it was through such an avenue that I reached a wealthy independence and the possession of Gorsthorpe Grange. My habits are conservative, and my tastes refined and aristocratic. I have a soul which spurns the vulgar herd. Um, quite a ridiculous character. But as well as uh, purchasing Gorsthorpe Grange, he's decided to resurrect the old family coat of arms to cement his newfound family position. Um and so he really plays on this idea that the Dodds had once been a great family and that he's sort of bringing them back into their rightful place. But uh, his words would sort of, you know, suggest otherwise. He says at one point, our family, the Dodds, date back to a prehistoric era 
as is to be inferred from the fact that their advent into British history is not commented on by any trustworthy historian, (laughs) which is a great line as well. And Conan Doyle had himself done quite a bit to resurrect his own family crest. He had a long-standing interest in heraldry and, uh, and his own genealogy through uh, the influence of his mother. And in fact, he, he talks about this in Memories and Adventures. He says, uh, I, I trust the reader will indulge me in my excursion into these family matters, which are of vital interest to the family, but must be tedious to the outsider. As I am on the subject, I wish to say a word about my mother's family, the more so as she was great on archaeology and had, with the help of Sir Arthur Vickers, Ulster King of Arms, and himself a relative, worked out her descent for more than 500 years, and so composed a family tree which lies before me as I write, and on which many of the great ones of the earth have roosted. So that's Conan Doyle's mother, Mary Foley, um, and actually the, the, the coat of arms that Conan Doyle resurrected included both the Doyle and the Foley crests. And, and it's, it's obviously um, something made a huge impact uh, on him from his, his early childhood with with uh, sitting listening to uh, his mother's stories of the of the family history and you know together they'd, they'd build these these castles in the air mm. um and th- this idea obviously stayed with with Doyle for life and it yeah it, it obviously influences his his medieval romances the white mm. company and Sir Nigel uh, and and it also turns up in some very very odd places, um, notably in in his semi autobiographical novel, The Stark Monroe Letters, mm. uh, which appeared um, between eighteen ninety four and eighteen ninety five in in periodical form and then in in, in book publication. Mm. Um, but in that, we we get a view of, of Stark Monroe, who is essentially Conan Doyle, yes, um, a yes. young doctor, and and his you know, his struggles to to find professional success um but monroe's mother is 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 described uh thus when when she's telling her son uh these these stories then there is her family pride that is a very vital portion of the mother on the pakenham side she is a pakenham the family can boast of some fairly good men i mean on the direct line but when we get on the side branches, there is not a monarch upon earth who does not roost on that huge family tree. <laughs> not once, nor twice, but thrice did the Plantagenets intermarry with us. <laughs> the Dukes of Brittany courted our alliance, and the Percys of Northumberland intertwined themselves with our whole illustrious record. <laughs> um, and this this is particularly interesting because you know it really does point to this this being essentially Mary Foley. Yeah. Uh, she was related to the Pax yes. rather than the Pakenhams. This is obviously just Doyle doing a little bit of <laughs> t- uh, not too subtle disguise. Um, but um, his mother did boast about um, family connections, distant family connections to the Plantagenets mm. and certainly the Percys of, of, of Northumberland. Mm. So th- this is Doyle's own family history getting getting mixed up here, and it, you know it's a very uh, a very pointed view of his mother. Um, yes, and, and you know in in a way, it's it's a better picture than you get in Memories and Adventures. Yeah, it is actually, isn't it? And mm. and and I think I do think the character of Argentine Dodd here is while he's poking fun at middle class as well. There are a lot of his values that are sort of coming in under the radar here, mm. and mm. this this one about. Um, uh, well, first of all, he actually says in Memories and Adventures that his that that the family name Doyle actually comes from D Oil D apostrophe mm-hmm. Oil, you mm-hmm. know, like D apostrophe Odd. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he also uh, 
talks about his lineage to the Staffordshire Doyles, mm-hmm. um, I, which is essentially an English clan rather than the later Irish branches. So he says, uh, we can only claim to be the main stem by virtue of community of character and appearance with the English Doyles mm-hmm. and the unbroken use of the same crest and coat of arms. So here he is deliberately associating himself with a particular branch, but saying basically we, we, we are associating them by virtue of the fact that we look a bit like them and we use the same coat of arms. Uh, but he did go on to use this, um, uh, the coat of arms, his coat of arms, which was the, the Doyle and Foley one in uh, the south-facing windows in Undershaw, the family home he built for his first wife, and they moved into in 1897. And sadly, I think li- uh, I think the, the windows haven't really survived. But um, there is actually a famous painting of Conan Doyle by Sidney Paget, which was painted around the same time, which has a coat of arms in the top right-hand corner, and it was reproduced in John Dixon Carr's biography of Conan Doyle in '49. Um, but uh, Nick Utekin and, and Catherine Cook have looked at that coat of arms and said oh it looks like it was painted hmm. on separately at a later date so you know there's a lot of sort of family myth making in this and uh, the most likely culprit for that airbrushing hmm. <laughs> was adrian conan doyle um and so it's interesting in that context that adrian set about creating his own um conan doyle uh, uh crest and um he got uh, he was granted a coat of arms by the chief herald of ireland on the 10th of December, 1951, which is actually a quartering, not just, it's not just of the mm. Doyle and Foley, it's the Doyle, the Foley, the Pack, and the Percy's. Mm. So just as you say, it's quite a ridiculous mm. and very elaborate uh, and very grand coat of arms. It's classically Adrian. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and then that reappeared in, in other form as well. Yes, and, and it, it's also worth noting at this point that there does exist... Uh, a supposed Arthur Conan Doyle book plate, <laughs> um, which is a, a, a classic armorial book plate, mm. which can and has fooled people uh, yeah. into thinking that this was actually uh, uh, Arthur's book plate. It, it was actually perpetrated by Adrian again um, <laughs> and stuck in books, which which you know, may well have belonged to his father, but his father certainly didn't design or approve the book plate. Mm. Cheeky man. <laughs> mm. I mean, there's there's a, a couple more interesting points come out of what you've, you've said there as, as, as well, Mark, um, in that, that you get Arthur Conan Doyle pointing towards the English Doyles. Which is very interesting. Isn't it? Which it, 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 it's fascinating, given his his background that he spent much of his life playing the Englishman. Yeah. Given his Celtic mixed Scots Irish background. Yeah. Um, that he's pointing towards the English Doyles himself. Yes. Um, yeah. But then Adrian gets <laughs> this permission from the from the the Irish. That's right. Um, so again, you, you've you've got this mix going on yeah um and i'm also thinking as 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 well in terms of of doyle's fiction with the the whole idea of 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 family and branches that this this emerges in um the musgrave ritual where reginald musgrave is is part of a a cadet branch yes a a scion branch who who broken away from the northern musgraves so this this it, it it does sneak into uh, unexpected does. places in in, uh, in in Conan Doyle's fiction. Yeah, there's another aspect I think that connects back to Conan Doyle's 
I don't know, psychological makeup, I suppose you would you would call it, which is reflected in something Argentine Dodd says, where he's, he talks about um, how he, he, he could be a sort of present-day crusader. Hmm. <laughs> he says, uh, you know, some instinct tells me that the blood of a crusader runs in my veins. Even now, after the lapse of so many years, such exclamations as, by your lady, <laughs> rise naturally to my lips. And I feel that, should circumstances require it, I am capable of rising in my stirrups and dealing an infidel a blow, say with a mace, which would considerably astonish him. <laughs> and so now that he's got uh, chivalric blood in his veins and he's got um, uh, his his resurrected coat of arms, the only thing he needs to do to finish, uh, to complete the picture is Gorsthorpe Grange. And to all intents and purposes, this seems like it's quite a good, um, quite a good manor house for him. Yes, I mean, he says himself, it is soothing to me to know that I have slits in my staircase through which I can discharge arrows. And there is a sense of power in the fact of possessing a complicated apparatus by means of which I am enabled to pour molten lead upon the head of the casual visitor. I am proud of my battlements and of my circular uncovered sewer, which girds me round. <laughs> it's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. But the but the problem with Gorsop Grange, of course, is that it lacks a ghost. And mm. anything that any self-respecting landed family needs is a, is a ghost to occupy their property. Uh, he's particularly annoyed by the fact that his neighbour, who is a farmer with the wonderfully Dickensian name Jorrocks, has got a ghost and he hasn't. And he says, you know, Jorrocks is densely unconscious of his good fortune. And his language, when he refers to the apparition, is painful to listen to. He little dreams how I covet every one of those moans and nocturnal wails which he describes with unnecessary objurgation. Things are indeed coming to a pretty pass when democratic spectres are allowed to desert the landed proprietors and annul every social distinction by taking refuge in the houses of the great unrecognized. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but then there comes the problem of how do you actually find yes. a ghost <laughs> if your house doesn't have one to begin with um but but fortunately uh, argentine dodd's wife has a a very resourceful cousin called jack brockett <laughs> who um he, he's described as one of those who lives by his wits um, <laughs> yes. and so argentine goes to see him and 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 jack um jack and he over many glasses of a different sort of spirit <laughs> uh, have, a, have a discussion about this and, and Jack says leave it to me I'll find out yes um, and he goes off to to London and um, in a pub the lame dog yes he finds the perfect man Mr Abrahams <laughs> who promises that he can find Gorsthorpe Grange a ghost yes I, I mean this is <laughs> I, I do like that sequence in that it is casually mm. mentioned that Brockett and uh, Argentine Dodds are just progressively getting more and more drunk mm. <laughs> as the evening is going on. And and Brockett has a wonderful index, doesn't he, of all the all the different people oh, yeah. you can mm. go to. Yeah, and, and as as you read about his, his reference works, you're very much reminded of the good old index. Yes, it is. That's right, that's right. I mean, had had he not got Jack Brockett to rely on and had he been in the nineteen seventies, he mm. might have been able to go to rent a ghost, of course. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, if your mansion house needs haunting, <laughs> just call Rent-A-Ghost. Um, so, but uh, Abrams himself is quite a fun character as well. 
yeah, he's a cockney. He's a cockney tradesman, and uh, even though you know Argentine Dodd has a particular image in his head, it turns out that Mr. Abrams doesn't really fulfil this image. He says instead, however, of being the sallow-faced, melancholy-eyed man that I had pictured to myself, the ghost dealer was a sturdy little podgy fellow with a pair of wonderfully keen, sparkling eyes and a mouth which was constantly stretched in a good-humoured, if somewhat artificial, grin. Um, <laughs> and he introduces himself. I understand, he remarked, puffing at a trichinopoly, that you want my help in fitting up this ear ass with a apparition. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. But then you're going to get into this sort of his promise of what he can, what he can do uh, in procuring this ghost. And at this point, there's maybe a hint as to why Conan Doyle um, didn't collect this in later years, because this is where he starts to uh, make fun of of spiritualism, um, and in particular, he he sort of talks about first of all spiritualists who couldn't procure him a ghost to to order, but also there's a little bit of mockery of the kind of artificial rules that surround channeling of ghosts. So at one point, uh, Abram says that you have to. Um, convene at 10 to 1 in the morning. That's the best time. He says, some says midnight, but I says 10 to 1 when there ain't such a crowd and you can pick your own ghost. Um, But also all this sort of strange private knowledge that these people seem to have. You know, I'll sit here by the fire and do the preliminaries, which is more trouble than you'd think. He's just making fun here of of spiritualist practices. And then you get into Abrams actually... um, Getting on, uh, getting out um, some chalk and drawing a chalk circle and putting hieroglyphs on the ground and things to be able to, 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 to raise the spirits so that Argentine Dodd can have uh, can pick, can pick his choice from those that will uh, that will um, materialize that evening. But this is a very strange picture of spiritualism, isn't it? Really, it's not really spiritualism as such. It's much more kind of occult. Yeah, you got a got a, a an, an odd mix going on definitely mm. I, I mean both um what you could term the spiritualists and the occultists have their own different forms of of, of ritual yeah and ritual is 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 all important um just as it is in in organized religion it, it, it's 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 a, a very much a part of the of the procedure mm. there's a measure of poking fun at mediums mm. but there is also a stronger measure really in this of of, of Poking fun at the, uh, the 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 ritual occultists, yeah, um, and their their love of, of obscurantism and obfuscation and 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 hidden and secret knowledge, yes, um, because Argentine Dodd himself boasts that he has read so much ghost literature and is is suffused with this and really knows his stuff, <laughs> but then Abrams comes in and is able to easily bamboozle him, indeed. And it, it is this, this whole idea of occultism and fraud and so on, being very, very close to one another. Yeah. Um, and, and you get this very, uh, very strongly in this character. Uh, and also with all the fussing about with the chalk circle and you, we must stay inside this for safety and so on. Um, this, this is also <laughs> pointing at, at um, uh, uh, an old friend of the podcast, um, Bulwer Lytton. Yeah. Um, yes. In particular, and his sort of uh, the the occult literature, uh, which was was very very much um, full of, of of this sort of ritual going on, and this this is the only way that you will you will conjure up the ghost mm. or you conjure up a demon, and um, so it's, it's it's all that is 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 going on, and and Doyle is is 
very cleverly observing and 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 mocking this but but gently yes he is he is and mm. i i particularly like the line um after he's done the chalk circle and he's drawn several hieroglyphs mm. um, he says that uh, not unlike the signs of the zodiac um <laughs> abrams then stood up and uttered a long invocation <laughs> delivered so rapidly that it sounded like a single gigantic word in some uncouth guttural language you can imagine <laughs> you can imagine this scene it's very it's very good but i mean it's worth saying that this is at a point when conan Doyle was not steeped in spiritualism he didn't really have a great deal of sort of um structured knowledge and understanding um in fact he he if this was written as we think in summer 1883 it was um it it was before he joined the Portsmouth Literary and Scientific Society, which was in mm. November 1883, and it's there that he met Major Drayson. And mm. from Major Drayson, he gets more of a kind of um, structured schooling in um, theosophy and spiritualism and different aspects of um, supernatural study mm. as well. It's also before that time that before the time that he met um, Henry Ball, an architect in South Sea, who also shared Conan Doyle's fascination for the paranormal. So mm. this really does feel like this is. Um, you know, Conan Doyle in his later years, if he was to pick up this story and look back at it, you can imagine he would be deeply embarrassed by mm, the contents, mm. even though it's done good-humoured jesting. Mm. Um, it's still embarrassing for for the sort of spiritualist prophet he would become. Oh, oh quite quite definitely. And uh, as you say, with the with the dating, we were even ten year ten years before he joins the uh, Society for Psychical Research. Mm. So all the, the what's actually going on here is 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 he's very much like like Dot. Yes, exactly. He's got his knowledge from from he, he's well steeped up in the fiction and the literature. I mean he he's grown up reading Blackwoods. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, he, he really knows his stuff in terms of, of, of supernatural and weird fiction. And that's where most of this is coming from. Yeah, that's it. Mm. But the most important part of the ritual is the taking of a certain essence of Leucoptolicus, <laughs> which is Mr. Abraham's secret ingredient to successful raising of ghosts. <laughs> and it seems to work. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, now you have Argentine Dodd experiencing a parade of ghosts. Mm. Um, that essentially audition for him one at a time. <laughs> the first of which appears with uh, with these wonderful words: "I am the invisible non-entity. I have affinities and I'm subtle. I am electric, magnetic, and spiritualistic. I am the great ethereal psi heaver. I kill dogs. <laughs> Mortal, wilt thou choose me?" And if you haven't already got it from I am electric, magnetic, and spiritualistic, the kill dogs bit will give it away in that this is uh, another reference to that story that we covered in the last episode, uh, Bulwer Lytton's The Haunted and the Haunters. Yeah, so we've, we've, we've got um, clear references here to, to Bulwer Lytton in terms of the, 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 the magical ritual mm -hmm. before the ghost appears and then the first ghost to appear is quite definitely a clear reference to 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 Bull the, the 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 I kill dogs <laughs> yes. really makes it clear because one of the central happenings in the haunted and the haunters is is the the, the ghosts killing of the dog that mm. the, the ghost hunters take with them mm. um and it's it's just a rather you know a piece of black humor yes on Doyle's part to to throw that line in here yeah and then the next one that appears is a fiendish old woman who wears snuff-coloured silks, 
um, and curses people. And uh, she says, uh, Sir Walter was partial to me, which gives away this particular source. Yeah, that's a, a clear reference to Sir Walter Scott, of course. Um, and the, the, the story that's being referenced here is, is his um, celebrated uh, ghost story, The Tapestry Chamber, mm. uh, which first appeared in 1829, uh, which is a, a wonderful story about a, a, a general, a British general who's returned from the American War of Independence. Uh, he's a real tough nut mm. um, and is given a, a, a haunted room for the night in a, in a friend's mansion house. Um, and this, this, uh, an old woman appears before him and, you know, scares him out of his wits. <laughs> That's and, terrifying. Yeah, it's, he, he, he refuses to spend another night under, under that roof. Um, it, it's, it's a really, really, uh, it's a, a brilliant story and, and another very clever one. Yeah. Um, and, and the trope also, um, appears in Sheldon Lefanu's story, uh, Madame Crowell's Ghost. Yes, uh, where you've got a, a murderous old crone in, in that too, um, and that appeared in all the year round in 1870. Um, mm. So again, young Doyle might have, have been familiar with that story, and, yes. and this this trope has 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 gone into his 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 you know, kind of cabinet of characters. Yes, yes, it's mm. one of his re- one of his repertoire. Mm. Ne- the next one is is much more generic, isn't it? Is this? The, oh yes, a, yeah. A cavalier appears. Mm. Um, although I, I, I do like the line that, you know, I can emit hollow groans. Mm-hmm. I am patronized by many old conservative families. I am the original man of house <laughs> apparition. I work alone or in company with shrieking damsels. Um, but the, 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 the other, other wonderful other, I pierce and am pierced. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very good. I, and, and this is just, you know, a, 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 a a typical ghost story that you might get anywhere. In fact, I was looking at, um, uh, there was one of the journals of the, the Society of Psychical Research a year later, has an article about just such a ghost, a uh, a cavalier who they describe as a road ghost, somebody who appears essentially on the road between um, Richmond and Twickenham um, outside of an old house and has been sighted several times. Um, but the next one is very explicitly a, a a Dickens reference, isn't it? This one, although when I when I caught it, I wasn't quite um, wasn't quite sure on on what the influences were. The the Dickens ghost says, you know, I am the lever of footsteps and the spiller of gouts of blood. I tramp upon corridors. Charles Dickens has alluded to me. I make strange and disagreeable noises. I snatch letters and place invisible hands on people's wrists. I am cheerful. I burst into peals of hideous laughter. Shall I do one now? Yeah, it's it's quite uh, quite a confusing one. This with with mm. the Dickens reference there. Um, it's it's actually before you get the, the 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 spirit speaking, you have this description: a feeling of intense horror stole over me, and I was aware of the presence of a ghastly creature in the room, of dim outlines and uncertain proportions. One moment it seemed to pervade the entire apartment, while at another it would become invisible. Mm. always leaving behind it a distinctive consciousness of its presence. Now, it's rather more subtle it is, than what it, it suddenly turns into. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, and this this uh, could possibly be um, a reference to um, Dickens' 1865 story, To Be Taken With a Grain of Salt, in which um, the member of a, a jury on a murder trial hmm. is visited by the ghost of the murdered man. Mm. But only this juror can see the ghost. 
but the ghost is wandering around the courtroom and affects other people and oh. is invisible. And the the actual, the murderer himself sees the stamp of the ghost on the face of the juror and says, not him. I don't want him on the jury. So it's, <laughs> it's all quite, you know, there's there's a lot of rather good subtle stuff going on. So I, I, I wonder if that's the reference mm. there. Yeah, I um, don't know that again, one. The peals of the the, the the peals of laughter yeah. um, might come from um, the eighteen thirty six story, a Madman, a Madman's manuscript, um, in which you know you get the confession of a madman. He, he, mm. he, he can't resist laughing all the time. He, That's right. he goes off on his own. He has to laugh about the most awful things. Um, and so I, d- I don't know whether it's it's kind of mixing all that together. Yeah, yeah. The kind of spiller of blouts, gouts of blood, was the one that sort of wrong-footed me on this one, really, because I mm, uh, because it just it doesn't doesn't feel very Dickens that to me at all. Mm. But um, but yeah, that's an interesting one. And then then you get into something which is much more I would have associated with spiller of gouts of blood. Another archetype, a bit like the cavalier, this mm. time is the pirate captain. Yes, who appears, <laughs> which is. Conan Doyle channeling all of his interest in in the likes <laughs> of uh, Captain Kidd and and mm. uh, Edward Teach Blackbeard, um, mm. all the stuff that influences his Captain Sharky tales. Yeah, um, uh, as well. Together with with kind of road bandits and all of that that kind of he's, he's a real kind of um, amalgamation. Yes. Of, of all these sort of ruffians, and you, you have, I am a murderer. I am a ruffian. I crouch when I walk. I step noiselessly. I know something of the Spanish main. <laughs> I can do the lost treasure business. I have charts. I have charts. <laughs> <laughs> or rather, and again, that that's kind of the I have charts alluding to the, the hidden treasure yes. archetype, which yeah, yeah. ghosts often they're pointing to hidden treasure. And yeah, it, it, <laughs> it, it's it, by this point in the, in the parade, you, you can see that Doyle is is doing this this clear mix of, of, of fictional influences and, and, and folkloric influences and just throwing them all together. Yeah, he is. And mm. then his next one is um, is a particularly terrifying one, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. the, it's the Edgar Allan Poe one, which yes. he describes as the American blood curdler. Mm. It's good. We have the, I mean, the descriptions here are fantastic. It was a very tall man. The gaunt bones were protruding through the corroding flesh. And the features were of a leaden hue. A winding sheet was wrapped around the figure and formed a hood over the head from under the shadow of which two fiendish eyes, deep set in their grisly sockets, blazed and sparkled like red-hot coals. The lower jaw had fallen upon the breast, disclosing a withered, shriveled tongue and two lines of black and jagged fangs. <laughs> letting himself go, and then, and then when it speaks... I am the American blood curdler. I am the embodiment of Edgar Allan Poe. I am circumstantial and horrible. I am a locust spirit subduing spectre. I am grisly and nauseous. No depending on artificial aid. Work with grave clothes, a coffin lid, and a galvanic battery. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. This, I mean, obviously, this is this is bringing out. Doyle's absolute love of Poe. Um, (laughs) But the interesting thing is Poe didn't write ghost stories. No. no. Um, He didn't, you know, he he just, uh, he he, he didn't do that. But, you know, they are horror stories, Mm. if you want to just generalise. And and this spirit is the supposed spirit of of Poe's stories. And and (sighs) Doyle knew better. Yes. But already... 
Poe's stories are being reduced to a set of gruesome stage effects, which is yes. what has happened in the 20th century in a big way. And you, know, you think of the Roger Corman movies, yeah, it's of all course. This, this setup of, of, of effects, and this is what you're getting here. Mm. Um, and, and I find it fascinating as well at this stage, 1883, already Doyle Early. is picking up on the idea of the American blood curdler. The, yeah. the, the fact that American fiction of this kind is often reliant upon gore and effect and shock yes and, and this would definitely go on into the 20th century where yeah. the the american school would 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 take over and dominate yes. and it's interesting you know with, with that kind of the the, the the gore the shock effect the shock and gore yes would be what would come in over the some of the more subtle yes um, english ghost stories the, the sort of stories where sometimes you don't even know what's happening yeah everything is more subtle whereas whereas this is this is seen as poe changing the game yeah 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 mm. i mean all of these ghosts that he's doing are really pointing to an earlier time aren't they they're all, mm. all mm. much earlier kind of depictions of ghosts and as we talked mm. about in the last episode um you know this is a the the 1880s is a point of transition in ghost stories, isn't it? The 1880s and mm. 90s as it moves into maybe more psychological mm. as well. But this is him really reveling in all the horrors. That, that <laughs> side of it, which, again, as you say, with, with the, this is a period of transition and change. And you, you've got, again, Dickens yes. is, is doing a lot of this change where, where he's taking, uh, you know, the classic trope, but you can think of the, the chain clanking ghost. <laughs> And Jacob Marley, he turns mm. this this on its head, and 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 Marley is imprisoned with his own you know, cash boxes and keys and and so on, and it, it's using that for for a purpose. And mm. and, and later on, in Abar um, James would 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 refashion the sheeted ghost um, in A Whistle and I'll Come to You, My Lad, mm. where what had become rather a standard jokey ghost, James refashions into a into a creature of real horror absolutely so we've got all of this is going on and and, and doyle's picking up on this and he's playing a part in it himself yeah he is absolutely mm. and his final ghost is the one that argentine dot actually settles on who mm. is who is in the end this uh young girl who is uh plaintive and sentimental beautiful <laughs> and ill-used um i have been forsaken and betrayed i shriek in the night time and glide down passages my antecedents are highly respectable and generally aristocratic, which is almost certainly why he goes for them. <laughs> and uh, and of course, at this point, we we get the we get the punchline as that he's as he's sort of saying, "Yes, I'll have her, I'll have her." At which point, his wife shakes him up and says, "We've been robbed." <laughs> <laughs> but just thinking about this whole section of the uh, of the ghosts, I mean, I, I reading it again, what struck me was that we already know Argentine Dodd is. Uh, uh, has a great knowledge of supernatural fiction. He's got a real interest in it as well. Mm. And what you're getting in this section is a kind of classification of different ghosts. Mm. You're getting, uh, which really speaks to the kind of the the, the the scientific mentality of the 1880s, where there mm. was an awful lot of classification of phenomena. And it's 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 fascinating to see it reflected here because, of course, this is what would the SPR would go on to do. Mm-hmm. This is what Conan Doyle would be engaging with in later life as well. This kind of um, uh, quasi-scientific, pseudo-scientific uh, rationalization of different uh, paranormal phenomena into different kind of categories and, mm-hmm. and boxes. Um, but you get it here in a very jokey form, in the mm-hmm. uh, in the form of selecting a ghost. 
and it, it's tying into this 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 growth as well at this this time of of, of consumer culture. <laughs> yes, you can buy a ghost. You can buy anything. Here's, here's a conveyor belt of ghosts. Yeah, you, you've got that, and you've also got uh, tying in the, an idea of, of, of the labour market. <laughs> yes, of, of people being interviewed for a job almost. Yeah. I mean, I, I was reminded at the end when Argentine Dodd picks the the, the, the plaintive young lady ghost mm. at the end. Oh, that that will do. And, and I was very much reminded of of Jeffrey Rucastle in the <laughs> yes. at, at the governess's agency. Capital, capital, capital. That was right. it's, it's it's very much the same <laughs> sort of setup. It is, isn't it? It mm. is. Yeah. Yeah. So after. Mrs. Dodd has um, woken up Argentine and said, "We've been robbed." Um, <laughs> we 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 get to to work out that the heart of the problem has been the uh, Leucoptolycus. Yes, <laughs> um, which is later analysed by a doctor um, who. This is one of the heavier-handed comedy moments, <laughs> isn't it? Dr. T.E. Stube. Yes. Um, yes. Work that one out. Um, uh, <laughs> but he analyses it as, as chloral. Yes, and we we find out that that um, Mr. Abrahams is actually the um, the Nottingham cracksman, Jemmy Wilson, <laughs> yes. um, who has has taken a liking to Argentine Dodd's uh, silver plate with his coat of arms stamped on it, yes. um, uh, which have now disappeared. Uh, so, so yeah, we we have this as the uh, the big reveal at the end, and it it, it, work, it does work very well. It's cliched, but works really well. And and you also look back. This this is again Doyle picking up on on previous use of this this kind of thing, and and I'm thinking particularly the influence of Dickens mm. um, coming in in strongly here. We've we've got this in um, the, the Pickwick Papers, which which Doyle had certainly read. Mm. Um, there's two of the stories, and particularly the story of the Bagman. Yes. Um, in, in which um, a, a, a traveller sleeps in an inn and, and an old chair in his room turns into an old man and, and um, gives him some some story about the inn. Um, mm. And th- this actually is seen after, I think it's seven glasses of, of, of punch. Yes. Um, and then a later story, um, the, the story of the bagman's uncle in which after a wild drinks party in Edinburgh, the uncle falls asleep in, in an old kind of graveyard of, of mail coaches. Um, and and he, he wakes up to find himself in a ghostly mail coach and has various adventures. So it is this kind of, did they see ghosts or was it all the drink yes. or the drugs? Um, and, and perhaps in Dickens, the, 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 the most famous example uh, occurs in, in The Christmas Carol when Scrooge first meets Jacob Marley and he says, <laughs> you may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. <laughs> so again, it's, it's, it's that whole tradition that, yes. that Doyle's tapping into and, and making a, a very successful job of. Yeah. It, it does remind me a bit. In fact, this whole story sort of s- slightly remind me a bit of, um, a literary mosaic, which we covered previously, yes. yeah, yeah. in that you know, again, this is kind of all bringing out a, um, a a cast of literary in in that case, um, uh, you know, past writers. Mm-hmm. But essentially, it's on the same riffing on the same idea, mm-hmm. and um, and also literary mosaic starts in that case with this uh, 
I think I think the gentleman has had uh, a pint of beer and mm-hmm. a Welsh rarebit mm-hmm. supper, and that's what has induced his uh, mm-hmm. his dreamlike state. It's it's a kind of showing off as well. Yeah, it is. You know, with with both of them, of of, of look what I've read, and if you're if Definitely. if you're as well read as me, you'll spot the references, dear reader. Yeah, that's right. Mm. That's right. Yeah, I mean the the story as well is is interesting as a comic ghost story because I mean now mm. we're at the end of the story, we know that it isn't really a ghost story as such. Mm. Um, you know, but but there are this is a period of time where people are starting to play with the conventions because they're start, mm. they're so well established aren't they and yes you've got people like mark twain writing in 1875 he has uh, a ghost story which is um is a funny little piece about um the cardiff giant who <laughs> is haunting a museum that has his body in only to discover that it's a plaster cast of his body and he's been haunting the wrong museum um but but i i, I this whole story reminds me uh, a bit as well about um uh, Oscar Wilde's The Canterville Ghost. Oh yeah, yeah. Which which is going to be what four years after this, eighteen eighty seven. Mm. Uh and and you know, you just mentioned before there, Paul, about um consumerism. I mean mm. that's a big attack on consumerism mm. um in, in the Canterville Ghost. Um and that too has references to um the the Society of Psychical Research, um, mm. Myers, Podmore uh, mm. and, and the likes as well. And then there are other writers, uh, uh, maybe a little uh, a little bit later. Um, there's Kendrick Bangs, writes uh, writes a very funny story, um, the Water Ghost of Harrowby Hall, 1894, uh, which is about a water spirit who is finally defeated when they're tricked to turn into ice <laughs> on a particularly cold day. Um, but it has some particularly wonderful overblown dialogue, like uh, "Congeal, madam, congeal! You have drenched me and mine for two hundred and three years, madam. Tonight you have had your last drench." Well, Bangs is 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 particularly interesting. I mean, he specialised in the yeah uh, the, the kind of the the, the, the comedy uh, supernatural story. Um, his most famous novel is is A Houseboat on the Sticks, published mm. in eighteen ninety six, in which the shades of various people like Napoleon and, uh, mm. and Julius Caesar um, convene on the other side. Um, and, and then he wrote um, a sequel, The Pursuit of the Houseboat, uh, in eighteen ninety seven, which features the shade of sherlock holmes yeah. no less and is actually the book is dedicated to conan doyle so again he's part of that circle this is all, all topping in but but of course doyle was was writing his comedy ghost stuff in the, in the previous decade yeah 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 i mean that, that whole thing about you know the the the, the telling of stories as well that's something mm. that's picked up by other writers i mean i uh, jerome k jerome wrote a, a a very nice short book called told after supper <laughs> 1891 a collection which is really pastiching not so much ghost stories as as the the the, the poor telling of ghost <laughs> stories that happen <laughs> with families around the fire who are slowly getting more and more sozzled of an <laughs> evening um and there's an excellent story in there about um the ghost of the blue chamber who had killed a christmas weight with a lump of coal <laughs> um and the uncle is telling the story there's a very good bit with he says um, so how did he do it? asked Mr. Combs with eager anxiousness. Was it difficult? I do not know how he did it, replied my uncle. He did not explain the process. The weight had taken up a position just inside the front gate and was singing a ballad. It is presumed that when he opened his mouth for B-flat, the lump of coal, coal was thrown by the sinful man from one of the windows and that it went down the weight's throat and choked him. Well, you want to be a good shot, but it's certainly worth trying, murmured Mr. Combs thoughtfully. <laughs> And and this this whole tradition, I mean, it's 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 as with horror, so with ghost stories, the 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 line 
between the really serious stuff and the comedy is very, very fine. Yeah. And you've got to know how to tread it in both cases. Mm. Um, but it, it's the, the, the ghost as figure of fun is, is a, a, a very, a, a very powerful, again, trope within society. And, and it's still hugely popular. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you you mentioned earlier you 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 made a reference to the 1970s kids series Rent a Ghost, which <laughs> spoofed the whole thing brilliantly. Um, but another 1970s series, again for kids, was the Ghosts of Motley Hall. Oh uh, yes, Carpenter, which had a, a series of ghosts in a, in an old mansion and and their interactions with the uh, <laughs> with the house agent and 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 various uh, adventures going on there. And it's been brought up to date. Um, mm. The BBC has a hit on their hands at the moment called Ghosts, which is Yes, of course. The, the, the same premise, essentially. Uh, ghosts from different eras, all inhabiting the same yeah. same house for, yeah, for, for comic, comic effect. Yes, that BBC series is a, is a very entertaining <laughs> one. So, yes, yeah, so that brings us to the end of the podcast. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you are interested in reading the show notes, you can find them at doingsofdoyle.com. And the website will also tell you how you can become a sponsor on PayPal or Patreon. So, Paul, what have we got on the podcast next time? Next time we'll be um, taking a slightly different format. Um, 2023 has been a pretty important year for Conan Doyle um, scholarship uh, and and attention. Um, mm-hmm. There have been numerous books, um, a significant television series. Um, so we'll do a Doings of Doyle review of the year. That will be great. We'll really look forward to that. So until next time, this being our Christmas show, we'd like to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, And until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. If your mansion house needs haunting, just call Rent a Ghost. We've got spooks and ghouls and freaks and fools at Rent-A-Ghost. Hear the phantom of the opera sing a haunting melody. Remember what you see is not a mystery, but Rent-A-Ghost. 